Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, folks, it is 8.44pm. Welcome to The Tennis Podcast on day 10 of the Australian Open, where we are just halfway through the day the day session is done the night session is still to come that is because we have had two matches on the rod laver arena one of three sets lasting three hours and eight minutes and one of four sets lasting three hours and 45 minutes they actually both felt longer than that um and those those matches have hogged up a lot of time and currently the session change is in progress and we're expecting the night session to get underway post 9pm. And who knows what time we'll be coming back with part two later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, it could have been worse, couldn't it? Because uh, I think in the Djokovic match, when they went an hour and 24 minutes for the first set and then 59 minutes for the second set, it could have ended up at anything, really. Yeah, I mean, look, at a set all, I think we know that uh, the organisers were looking at options I don't know what was the most prominent or preferred option but we know that at least uh, change of plans were on the table and they were hoping that Novak Djokovic would end up getting them out of jail and and that he did but they were lucky tonight relatively (laughs) Yeah, although it, it remains to be seen how out of jail they are because mm. if, if Sabalenka Krejcikova goes anything over two hours then Sinner and Rublev are starting at a totally unacceptable time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they'd be starting a best-of-five set match after the, the cut-off that the ATP are about to implement for mm. best-of-three set matches. Yeah, do come back for part two to find out exactly how in jail both the organisers of the Australian Open and the tennis podcast find themselves in the small hours of tomorrow morning. Uh, Coco Goff, let's start with her. 7-6-6-7-6-2 over Master Kostyuk today. An absolute binfire of a match, is that? okay to say I mean I could not take my eyes off it I'll 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 come on to that in a minute it was actually kind of one of my favorite varieties of tennis match I I realized today but it was hideous right yeah I was gonna go with hot mess (laughs) bin fireworks um look it was I personally found it extremely compelling as well I know that reactions differed um some people that I spoke to said they found it incredibly boring because the, the quality was just low. I found it captivating. I think some people found it funny. You know, I feel like any reaction to this match is sort of okay, you know, because it, it really was not your usual tennis match. Um, <laughs> look, there were 50 combined unforced errors in the first set alone, and then it ended up over 100 across the three sets. And I actually think they're quite generous with their unforced error counting <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, they are. Um, but, look, Coco Goff had zero game today, pretty much. The forehand was a total mess. 
the serve really wasn't very good either she was missing backhands like you know we can focus on the forehand but actually all aspects of her game were just off today but she always has her legs she always has her champion mentality she always has her fighting spirit and I think those things won her this match I, I can't think of another tennis player who would be not even far from their best pretty much at their worst and still be able to sort of keep her control on it generally and, and, and win the match that's what I found compelling the fact that I just knew that Coco Goff would probably quite likely still be able to pull through this even though she had no game and I found that aspect mm. pretty compelling She's she is so good at winning ugly like I know that's the cliche because that's Brad Gilbert's book. Like, he needs to write winning easy and, and <laughs> Coco Goff will have a much easier life. Um, but it, it just was the in, sort of incarnation of, of, of that motto today. It was, like, it was a wild tennis match. Yeah, I've been trying to think about how, whether I would have enjoyed it to the same extent a year ago before Coco Goff became a major champion. Because what I so enjoyed about it today is I love watching champions struggle. I, I love watching them struggle against an opponent. I love watching them struggle against themselves. Maybe that makes me a terrible sadist, but I love it. I find it utterly riveting. Um, and I think with, with Coco Goff now, you have the safety net of knowing she can win a whole Grand Slam while struggling, not just a tennis match. She can have Pretty unusual, the that. best result of her career while mm. struggling. And she has that mental safety net as well that didn't mean it was a foregone conclusion today against Marta Kostyuk but it I don't know it made it less like watching a watching a teen phenom oh god can she fulfill her potential is that forehand gonna always hold her back you've kind you it's the same it's the same safety net you've got the safety net if she's achieved greatness so I'm sort of allowed to enjoy this struggle you you kind can of. And I think you're right that you can have any reaction to it you want, and none of them are, none of them seem silly. All mm. of them seem relevant and, and valid. I didn't enjoy it at all. Interesting. And, and the reason I didn't enjoy it is because I found myself almost wanting to look away every time Coco Goff hit a forehand. I felt deeply uncomfortable watching that struggle. That I really understand what you mean, and I enjoyed watching her win the U.S. Open. But she didn't play forehands like this in the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, this, she was, could, she this was, was levels worse. She couldn't. She was struggling to find the strings of the racket on the ball, and um, I've, uh, I just can't get my head around. Was that, that because of something Marta Kostyuk was doing? Because she was okay. It was hot today, but it's she's played. You know, she's playing the same slot. She's played ESPN like her to play in the day session. I don't know. They weren't. Wasn't anything particularly different about conditions. Okay, it's a quarter final, but she's played plenty of these before. What was different about today to cause this I struggle? I think one of the things she was doing that not many have done is when Goff goes into that mode of rolling the forehand in order to protect it. She was going after it. She was then trying to pounce on it and hit it downwards. And when it worked, that was a lethal shot. She also missed quite a few of them because it's, it's quite sort of low percentage, I suppose. And, and listen, she's a brilliant mover. And mm. I think the fact that she's able to move with Goff was, was significant. I thought, I thought Kostyuk played well. But goodness me, the, the, the way she was able to just target... A shot. I mean, we saw an example of it with Norian's Zverev last night, and this was way worse. This was Coco Goff just couldn't hit the the shot in, in the court very often, and uh, I just was I was wanting to hide my eyes. I, I, mm. it, just, it was just like a visceral reaction. I was like, oh, God, this is just so, <laughs> so upsetting. I've watched David watching it, and <laughs> I can confirm. And, and I think maybe it's because I like Coco Goff as well. I mean, I, do, I think seeing people really struggle um, in a... And that was, you know, she overcame it, so I felt good about that for her. You didn't want to finish that sentence because the conclusion of it is... I'm a bad person. <laughs> no, it's not, because I really understand what you mean. But, but I just think... I don't know, I suppose I just wanted to help her in some way because it looked so horrible what she was going through. I think it just through. felt 
I mean, obviously this is easy to say after the fact, but I did just feel so confident she would come through. Well, that's definitely something she has got that Mm. I don't think many have got that Mm. the way she has. I I found her celebration very interesting. Mm. I wondered if there would be a slightly sheepish celebration, a sort of, well, that's a box box ticked, but I'm going to have to do a darn sight better than that if I want to win this tournament. But actually, she just... She was just in the moment and like, oh, great, on to the next one. Mm. And uh, did that really lovely dance on the court and it was as if she'd won Love and Two. <laughs> um, and I guess, again, that's because she's, she's won a whole Grand Slam playing dirty tennis. Not universally dirty tennis. I'm not saying I don't think any of the matches she played at the US Open were as bad as the one she played today and some, some were good matches. But... She, <laughs> She's established a brand now of tennis and of crucially of winning and it doesn't matter what it looks like for her. And I think it's going to be important for her that she's got that mentality because you know going into a Grand Slam semi-final with with that performance as your freshest memory feels tough. You know because look as well as Marta Kostiuk played today at times and has had a great tournament she's not in the class of opponent as Arena Sabalenka or even Barbora Krejcikova you know two two Grand Slam champions and I know that Sabalenka has got tight in Grand Slam semi-finals herself but if if anything like the Arena Sabalenka we've seen this tournament were to play that version of Coco Golf, mm. it's a blowout mm. And so Coco Goff needs, I think, to A, bring a better level of tennis, but also just, I think, know that she can bring a better level of tennis and just, just not let that performance today affect her in, in the next match. And if there's anyone who can do that, I think it probably is Coco Goff with, with her mentality. Just quickly on Marta Kostiuk, um, what does this mean? Is this a, a platform for her? Is this a one-off? Not one-off because she's had good results before but this is obviously a particular standout result is this a platform from which she'll springboard is this a total anomaly is it somewhere in between to my eye she really has got game and her athleticism is so impressive and I can't believe that this is it I think there's more to come from her um, I, I do. I only. I only dipped into her press conference when it was towards the latter end. But to, to hear her talk, she's gone through. I mean, aside even from the war in Ukraine, which she has been so uh, prepared to speak about in a, in a way that blows my mind. Quite honestly, she's gone through struggle in the last five six years. Came on the scene as a 15 year old at this tournament. I remember being here with you, Catherine, when she made that breakthrough. And it's exciting, isn't it, when a, when a 15-year-old just wins rounds at a Grand Slam and you weren't expecting it. And then it all went quiet. And she was saying her, uh, some of the struggles she's had mentally and the, the difficulties she's had in life. And, and I just think she seems like a really impressive person who's, who's finding ways to deal with her life. And obviously these other... the, the, the the devastation she feels on behalf of her country is is another element altogether. But I feel like there's something in there. The, the game looks really good to mm. me and added that to, to her athleticism. I think you, you could have a heck of a player. It was, I mean, it shouldn't be as amazing as it was, but it was quite amazing hearing a player talk about having therapy in a in a tennis press conference. I mean, it blows my mind that every tennis player isn't having therapy slash every human being in the world but I thought it was fantastic to to hear her talk about that she said she's been having therapy for the past two years and obviously as you say David the war in Ukraine is a a massive feature of her life for the past two years but I did get the impression that the therapy and the 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 help she sought is actually kind of besides absolutely besides that and i think that's quite an important point because there doesn't need to be something uh specifically wrong or problematic in your life for you to seek therapy nobody in the history of time has ever gone it's a really bad idea me talking about that thing it's really it's really made things worse for me um 
I've had therapy, I have therapy, it's fantastic. It's not because my life is terrible, my life is great, but it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant and I I I think the stigma is lessening, but it's um it's still there and I think Marta Kustuk talking about talking about it today is fantastically helpful and it's not it's not any indication of weakness it's an indication of strength yeah I mean she's she's what is she 21 mm. you know she just she's lived a lot of life I think mm. in those last five years but uh, but I just feel like she's she's going to be able to build on this mm. I, 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 and I think it being a grand slam as well and having significant results that's got to do a lot for her I think so yeah and, and there's a lot to learn like from this match I mean she did get she did get very tight in that first set she really should have won it she served for it at 5-2 she served for it at 5-4 she had a set point at 5-3 she had a set point in the tie break you know and it, Koga Goff improved slightly in, in that stage but it wasn't like Coco Goff suddenly took over and, and started playing her absolute best there were chances there for Kostiuk um, and I say I did feel like one of the lucky ones my um, my sort of take on this match might be more positive than others because I didn't have to go through that ordeal of, of a first set and then at six all have a close up of Marta Kostiuk's feet as she had treatment for blisters which everyone watching on telly had to had to endure and that I just thought that was cruel yeah, after after the set that we'd been watching you don't want to see tennis players feet I mean you never want to see tennis players there feet is, there is too much as a Why rule the too much close up of tennis players feet aren't yeah. there in this sport yes absolutely uh, just in terms of who Coco Goff is going to play in the semi-finals obviously we'll let you know who it is later but I can tell you 8.59pm as I understand it players are just walking out onto Rod Laver Arena. In fact, I just heard a cheer right on yeah. cue. I think and they've turned that around pretty quickly. I think that's it. They? they have, but it is still a two hours delayed night session. Yeah, and and there was a there was a serious number of people in in, in Garden Square waiting mm. to get into Rod Laver Arena. Mm. Somewhere there's a there's a band who who may or may not be playing Dancing in the Dark right <laughs> now because we did put in a request. But Matt and we I went to do to some leave. hashtag journalism to see how busy Garden Square was with all the night session crowd waiting to get in, and that of course before the day session crowd were unleashed onto them. So we're there, you know, checking things out, doing hashtag journalism. There's a, there's a band called. What were they? Um, Daisy, Daisy Band. Daisy Band. Uh, shout out to Daisy Band. Who we now uh, follow on Instagram. Bro- Brother-sister <laughs> brother, duo. Um, and uh, yeah, we got we got sucked into big screen action. So we're there in Garden Square. Daisy Band announced that they're, they're taking requests. Uh, so I said, do you know any Bruce Springsteen? He said, I'll give Dancing in the Dark a go. They may or may not be doing that right now. Because <laughs> Good luck, Tom. we had to leave to record part one <laughs> of the podcast. And look at this, Catherine. As you said, the players are walking out and literally there's nobody in the stadium yet because that's the kind of turnaround that the players, that the crowd are trying to do here. It's, uh, it is a 15,000 exit and a 15,000 mm. entry. That takes a little bit of time. Mm, they've turned around quickly, but there are, yeah, it, it's not without... Not without cost. Um, so the other, the other long match that hogged the day session, four sets for Novak Djokovic against Taylor Fritz, 7-6, 6-2, three hours, 45 minutes. What are our headline thoughts about this? I think my headline thoughts are zero for 15 on break points for Novak Djokovic, which I don't think he's ever had a stat like that before. That's my first one. And my second one is how it was just a match of two parts. The part up until his preferred 7pm when he looked horribly uncomfortable. And we'd spent time out in the stadium, all of us. I, I spent the second set of Coco Goff's match in the stadium in the shade, not in the sun, but really not enjoying the air at all. It was thick, heavy humid air and, I, and you couldn't really fill your lungs with oxygen um, and, I, and I thought at the time Novak Djokovic is going to hate this and, and it actually gives Fritz a chance um, and they walked out at what sort of 4.30ish something like that and he had to play in the first set is an hour and 24 minutes um, Djokovic wins it despite not having any break points uh, converted at all um, 
but he was just sort of pacing himself really deliberately the way the way he does because he knew he couldn't expend unnecessary energy fritz wins the second set then seven o'clock comes and Djokovic is a different different guy yeah it's really interesting isn't it how you know it's it's a problematic shadow but you can literally see the shadow coming across and you're like Taylor Fritz has got that much time left before <laughs> Novak Djokovic is suddenly going to be a lot more comfortable it's on like this a sand court. timer isn't yeah, it yeah it is dribbling out yeah and um, I thought Djokovic was pretty impressive today considering these are conditions he doesn't like and I know it was, it was sort of one set all in those conditions wasn't it but it was very important for him that it wasn't that he wasn't two sets to love down because he knew that he could probably get it when the conditions started suiting him exactly as you said David he was I felt he was pretty conservative you know he wasn't he wasn't opening his shoulders and going for his shots in those in those first couple of sets he was he was generally playing within himself Taylor Fritz was stepping up on the big points like with increasing levels of brilliance like Djokovic as you said he couldn't convert any of his first 15 break points and Towards the end of that run, he was playing his best stuff and Fritz was matching it with his best stuff. Some of the -the down-the-line winners that he was hitting was awesome. Um, But I never really felt like Taylor Fritz was going to win the match. And that, that probably tells you about both players, really. You know, it's, it's Novak Djokovic, isn't it? He, he, he comes through these matches. And, and Taylor Fritz doesn't have a sort of history of... He doesn't have doesn't have the muscle memory of sort of winning these sorts of matches. So it always felt like a really tough ask. And then, as you said, Djokovic, he didn't race through the last two sets, but he was, he was a lot, uh, just a lot more in control. And overall, I thought it was pretty, pretty impressive. And I was pretty impressed with Fritz, actually, for, certainly for the first two and a bit sets. Yeah, Matt and I had a bit of a debate about how well Taylor Fritz actually played, because it felt like to me he did, he did a lot of the hard stuff incredibly well. As as Matt was saying, the the, the spectacular down the line shots off of both wings, quite often on on pressure points, break points down, were, was incredible from Taylor Fritz. But shouldn't he be playing more and winning more meat and potatoes tennis? Serve forehand, serve bang. There was so little of that. Serve, come up to the net and mop up the the high ball. It's true. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, I still feel like he plays quite a lot of a lot of tennis within himself um and when he was kind of almost forced to go for those big backhands it was it shows how good his backhand is and mm-hmm. how explosive his forehand can be because he was forced to redline it to to stay competitive to level up once at all and then to be with mm-hmm. him in the th- in the fourth set um but i know what you mean with that it doesn't really feel like his game has moved on the way that when you when you think of Sinner, you feel like this real acceleration has happened, and he's just separated himself from Taylor Fritz. He's left. I remember. I remember the two of them playing each other. I think in New Wells when we were there, um, mm. and Sinner won, but they didn't feel like they were miles apart at that point. I mean, Sinner has just separated himself mm. completely, at least in in my mind. And 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 I do I do think that the, I thought Fritz competed well. He showed good stamina. He did. He, he didn't. He just, does compete well, doesn't and he? And he's, he and he didn't throw it in against Djokovic the way we've seen in recent times, where his attitude was bad. His attitude was good, but I, I do agree that he he could actually get probably more out of that game. Mm. I, I would have thought. It's, I mean, it's just testament to to how how Djokovic is able just consistently to bend tennis to his will and even even at a set of piece and looking hot and bothered and and out of sorts I, I, I still felt like he was in total control of the match because so a set of piece he's just dropped the second set Taylor Fritz has gone off court for a lengthy break and Novak Djokovic takes out uh, a sachet of his newly launched um, health brand of I don't know exactly what's in those sachets electrolyte type stuff yes um, and pours it into a drink you know very very demonstratively you know the packaging is on view for everyone etc etc he's got it you know everyone's got stuff to promote um, and I thought oh my god has his first two sets of struggle all been a big PR thing <laughs> for his newly launched brand has this all been part of the plan 
And obviously it wasn't. I'm being being facetious, but it felt like it could have been because it feels like Djokovic is so good at five-set tennis and losing sets and still being in control that that kind... If he did want to do a PR stunt like that, that would be within his powers. There was no panic there. There was no... He wasn't concerned, was he, that, that, that it was one set all? And guess what? If... If I do play a really long match, then Yannick Sinner gets to bed at six o'clock in the morning. Mm. Exactly, it's just all. (laughs) It could all be part of a Novak Djokovic master plan, couldn't it? A a a Silla fueled four set victory uh, after Berners put on after the second set, and Yannick Sinner having a Medvedev style seven a.m. bedtime. I should say. Or Andre Rublev. <laughs> there is a second half to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, which the listeners are going to be hearing mm. in a matter of moments. So let's all be careful what we say. Uh, it is eight uh, 9.09pm. Rodley Marina is filling up. And it yeah. should fill up. It should be full. I mean, they've waited long enough for this. It, it feels a bit like the US Open when... Because they often have this mm. situation, don't they? And, and they get their fans in incredibly quickly. And people do seem pumped. Still not sure why we were an hour later starting today. No. We've been we've been twelve o'clock mm. every day. We were one o'clock today. If this my, is eight oh nine, it's not great, but um, it's obviously a lot better. Australian news. The answer <laughs> always seems to be the news Can't in Australia, news. which nobody, she can't move. There are wildlife stories that have to be reported. <laughs> there is that as a rule in Australia. I think there has to be a wildlife story on every every news news bulletin, and I'm I'm here for it. Unless it's toads. <laughs> Not here for toads, ever. Uh, that is your lot for part one, I think. We'll be back to, in a matter of moments, let's find out if Matt has to eat his words about Andre Rublev. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Welcome back to part two, where it is eight minutes past two in the morning, which... Feels like a massive win. <laughs> it really does. Uh, back, back all those hours ago, which for you listening was a few moments ago, we were envisaging a post Andy Murray style situation for part two recording. And we, and I'm quite sure Tennis Australia in the Australian Open right now, feel like thank you, Irina Sabalenka and Yannick Sinner and your, your brilliance. We have collectively got away with one tonight yes i'm pretty sure that at 7 p.m tonight which was the time the night session was supposed to be starting we had a minimum of seven sets 
still to play. That was if Novak Djokovic finished his match off in four. That was if the women's match was over in two sets and if Sinner Rublev was over in three. And all of those things happened, like a like a chain of events that saved Tennis Australia from truly one of the most ludicrous finishes ever. However, I do want to say one twenty one AM is still an absurd time to be finishing tennis match. We have become immune to it and we mustn't. This has been bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Matt. Yeah. You're you yeah, you're so right. We mustn't normalise this. <laughs> I mean any further than we already all have collectively. Uh, quite right, Matt. We're going to talk about the matches in a moment. But first, I'm going to tell you about On Location, the premium, premium hospitality, hospitality and experience, experience provider. provider. On Location are our sponsors throughout the Australian Open. And we are thrilled that that is the case, genuinely. They uh, have fantastic ticket, hospitality and travel packages available for the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells, Miami Open, Madrid Open, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, the US, o- the US Open and the Labour Cup, which this year is in Berlin. And we have a 10% discount code for tennis podcast listeners on 2024 Roland Garros official VIP ticket packages, courtesy of Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours. Those packages include official Category 1 2024 Roland Garros tickets on Philippe Chatrier and access to La Mezzanine at L'Orangerie, which is every bit as French and fabulous as it sounds. <laughs> um, to buy an official VIP ticket package to Roland Garros and take advantage of that 10% discount code, just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and use the discount code CLAYSEASON at checkout. Clay, C-L-A-Y-S-E-A-S-O-N at checkout. And we also have a 5% discount code, which is applicable to all on-location tennis events besides the Olympics. That's Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Wimbledon, US Open, Labour Cup. And that discount code is exclusively for friends of the tennis podcast. So if you want to become a friend, and there are plenty of reasons to do that, then you can also access that discount code and terms and conditions do apply. Now back to Yannick Sinner. Yeah. It's quite good, isn't he? How, how good was he tonight? <laughs> oh, I mean... Oh, I, the, the the thing is, I, I'm very curious to, to get your takes on this because I, I saw it from the commentary box. It's the first time I've ever seen Yannick Sinner play Andre Rublev from that position, mm. ground level. I had a new appreciation for those two at the end of that. Um, their physicality, the way they move, the way they hit the ball relentlessly. There's so hardly any defending shots. You know, there's no sort of get back into the rally floating backhand slices, none of that. But and I, I, I felt like Rublev did exactly what he was mo- meant to do. He went for it and he still lost the first set 6-4. Um, but, but I saw something t- today that I feel like is new. In Yannick Sinner, because he wasn't very good in the second set for a lot of it. And he was seemed to be in some physical discomfort around his abdominal area or something was wrong. And then he goes 5-1 down in that second set tie break. And he produced the sort of surge that we have celebrated on this podcast for years. From Sophia Kennan against Garbini Muguruza. From Naomi Osaka in certain moments. From Emma Raducanu. From loads and loads of players. The great players. The, uh, the, the big three. All these guys. He produced a surge. And he did it a couple of times to just turn situations around and make it an efficient win. Yeah. I completely agree. The thing is, when you've when you've stared down three consecutive match points against Novak Djokovic in the Davis Cup semi-finals and you've gone on to win that match, what's 5-1 down in a tiebreak to Andrei Rublev? Like I feel like we've I feel like we're feeling the effects of everything that Yannick Sinner did at the at the back end of last season. He's a better player now. He just is. Um, and the way he took over that tiebreak was phenomenal because Rublev had been playing a brilliant tiebreak. I was I was thinking right, 
Okay, 3 a.m. finish. Here we go. This is definitely going minimum four sets. Best Rublev, case scenario. Rublev's on it. Like, this is one set all. They've just seen no way back for Sinner in, in that tie break. But the the points he strung together were phenomenal. And there, I love the emotion from him at the Alcaraz end. Alcaraz forehand wasn't there. Cross court. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. It, it, gave, it gave you similar chills. Mm. Mm. And then there was one where you hit a big forehand in the corner and came up, came up to the net and finished it with a high volley. Just Which is so something good. he has that Andre Rublev doesn't, right? When, they're, when you're looking at two such similar players. And I can't, I can't tell you how, how good Andre Rublev's ground strokes are. To think that he's come away from this match without a set and from this tournament without having improved on his increasingly woeful Grand Slam quarterfinal record. I feel I feel so bad for him that this is going to, you know, on paper just be chalked up as, what, an 11th? 10th. 10th, sorry. <laughs> a 10th... 11th coming soon. A 10th Grand sorry. Slam quarterfinal failure and one, you know, this time not against Novak Djokovic or, or Rafael Nadal because it does feel a bit different to me. I do think Andre Rublev is improved. I, I still think he's not as good a player as, as Yannick Sinner. I mean, obviously. Um, but it, I do think this one's just a bit different for Andre Rublev and there are reasons to be positive. And he is just a f- sublime tennis player, David. I mean, the, the way the way he was hitting from the back of the court, he... I mean, obviously, obviously, I was I was thrilled that he got away with a a one twenty three a.m. finish. But when he was five one up in that tie break, I was thinking, I'm prepared to add an extra hour onto my evening here because Andre Rublev deserves to have something to show for this. And then Senna came back, and I thought, okay, well, this this has its upsides too. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, oh. I hope he's got some good hugs yeah. available to him no, I, right now. I, I was heartbroken for him, really, at the end of that set, you know, and the way he sunk into his chair and gestured to his coach, mm. I had 5-1. I had, you know, you just think you can feel his pain and his sorrow. Um, but just to watch him hit a ball that close up with his legs moving like Roadrunner and, and his his sort of racket head speed going through the ball. It just, it looks physically impossible to do what he's doing. And then you think, and that's not even enough to get you past the quarterfinal in 10 attempts. I mean, I think, I'm, I, I'm not quite sure where my proximity to the action influences how good I think he was. My sense was, and that's why I'm curious to see what you two both thought as people who watched that element on the TV. I felt like he went for it more than I've ever seen him go for. In the first set, he was going for some really early winners, like going for lines or quite audacious ones as though he knew that was the only chance he got. Yeah, I I was impressed with with both players really i i watched the first set in garden square actually just to just to soak up some of the atmosphere and he had a letdown didn't he because he, he he had some chances early on and then he lost 10 points in a row yeah. and went down a break and i thought okay sinner's in in real control here and look you just you just can't afford to have those sorts of letdowns i, I don't think um i wouldn't say he had a letdown in the second set tiebreak as we described that was sinner wrestling it from him but just in that first set there was a little one but generally so impressed i mean i do think some of the some of the issues in his game still remain as as improved as he is his second serve is so predictable and and these top players and there's a there's a group of them now who are consistently getting to the latter stages of, of these big events. And he is likely to run into them, of course, Djokovic. But Sinner is getting there now. Alcaraz is getting there. Medvedev on on a hard court. And these players can take advantage. And he doesn't have the variety still. You know, he's, his ground strokes are improved. His backhand's better. But he can't mix it up. And I, I just think, you know... You need a different pace if you're playing Yannick Sinner or if you're playing Novak Djokovic. And, you know, uh, maybe given that he's improved the other areas of his game, maybe maybe that will come. And 
that will be something that helps get him over the line eventually. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, he's in, he's in the territory of losing the most quarterfinals at a slam, even for people who've been to semifinals. <laughs> and, he, and he hasn't even managed to do that once. It's, it, it's really tough. I think his, his two chances probably would have been Tiafo at the US Open and Chilich at the French Open. That's it, isn't it? It feels it's, to me like he needs that sort of opening. Yeah. But he's had a couple there. Yeah, but, but I do think now... He's better. I th- I think he would take advantage maybe of one of those draws, but he but he probably does need it because of what I've described there about there's just this pack of players who are even better than Rublev, and that is saying something because Rublev is awesome. You have to be improving to be standing still. Yeah. In tennis, that's the brutality of it, and I'm so impressed at how he's improved. He has a he has a forehand down the line that he just didn't used to have yeah um and his backhand is much improved i mean it was gasp inducing tennis we associate rublev with showing up and doing his thing and it's there um but it can end up being wallpaper sometimes and he really he forced me to take notice of him tonight and that was in a straight sets defeat so andre i hope you've got hugs available but dogs would be good dog yeah dogs yeah somebody showed me some pictures of their dogs tonight and they were they were lovely um yannick sinner is he physically a hundred percent how worried are we about that sort of quite mysterious abdominal injury he seemed to be clutching at midway through the match that then seemingly disappeared yeah the fact that it did seemingly disappear and I mean he really was showing no ill effects of it at all in the third set Uh, he wasn't touching his stomach anymore or anything and he didn't have a visit from a a trainer he you know there was there was nothing that really alarmed me as it went on but at the time I'm just thinking oh god here we go again you know he's we've had a few of these with Yannick Sinner um, and and I just was so worried for the Djokovic Sinner match because that could be one of the all timers, and uh, I didn't sense anything. It, may, it might have been just some sort of twinge, some sort of stiffness. Who who knows? But yeah, I, I'm I'm encouraged by the way he finished. And I've just had a very quick glance at his press conference transcript. He was in press at 2 a.m. No mention of it in the English portion of his press conference. He, he He's not brought it up. He wasn't specifically asked about it. He, he is asked about the lateness and whether he thinks he can recover for playing Novak Djokovic. And he, you know, he sounds, he sounds positive. He says, I'm confident my body's going to recover in the best way possible. And yeah, it, it wasn't visible in that final set was it but you know it was was a little alarming while he was while he was clutching it in that second set but two days off I think is helpful for him and yeah gosh bring me bring me full force Yannick Sinner and full force Novak Djokovic want to see it is it going to be an all-timer I really think it can be I I think no is it going to be yeah I think it is going to be because I think that Djokovic is still hanging on to the level that he's has sent him ahead of everybody. But Sinner has made such strides and just looks like a completely different prospect now to a year ago. I mean, you remember when he... Uh, Jim Courier was reminding everybody about how he made his coaching changes two years ago and he lost to Sitsipas in the semi in quarterfinals or whatever it was. And... I mean, this is a, just a totally different player. He, he, he even looks like a totally different player since Wimbledon. Um, and uh, even the US Open when he had all those post cramping puke, problems. David. He's post-puke. I, yeah. I think of him differently since the puke. Not because of the puke. <laughs> In the but bin. I really, really do. <laughs> Imagine what do Dra- Draper's going to be like. <laughs> I was really shaken by that defeat in the Wimbledon yeah. semi-final. I was really like, what is this? <laughs> There was, it wasn't good performance. It was not good. He didn't have a forehand. And he was off balance all I the time. I was not predicting he would win that match, but it was bad. Yeah. Um, and I thought, 
whoa, like calm down everybody. He's obviously talent talented, but that was so far away. It's dispiriting. It it was, yeah. I felt really just sort of cold um after that match and who beat him at the US oh Zverev at yeah, the US Open wasn't with it? All the cramp and all that, that yeah that was a weird match in about 100% humidity and we were angry at Sinner at Wimbledon for not owning it as well he was saying that he he played better than he did mm. when he pushed him to five the year before and that just sounded like nonsense to be honest yeah it was it was a really strange one and it left me feeling in a weird place re Yannick Sinner um and uh, yeah then then the US Open happened and there was that sort of ordeal of a match with with Alexander Zverev, Zverev, I suppose, that was so condition-affected. Yeah. Maybe difficult to, to learn too much from that. And then goes to Asia, does a puke in a bin, different guy. <laughs> Correct. You've you've got me, Yannick. That is how the history books will tell it. Yeah. We've got yeah. visual evidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it'll be... That's one men's semi-final set. It'll be Yannick Sinner... Against Novak Djokovic. If he's fit, it'll be five sets. Okay. I'm not saying anything to get in the way of David's hype. I'm on, I'm on board David's mm. hype. God, we need it at Hobbes 2 in the morning, don't we? <laughs> Hell yeah. So goddamn grateful for David walking through the front door with some hype in the bank. <laughs> I'm pumped. We've got a great <laughs> few days there. Um, the other semi-final set-up this evening confirmed it will be a replay of the US Open final between Coco Goff, who we talked about earlier, and Arena Sabalenka, who I think had her longest match of the tournament tonight against Barbora Krejcikova, an hour and 11 minutes, uh, 6-2... Six three. I mean, I thought Craig Chikov would play quite well. Me too. It, it, it was it was really jarring to me how little effect her game had on Sabalenka. Mm. You know, she was trying stuff. She was hitting. She's got a beautiful backhand, hasn't she? And she was hitting lovely ground strokes. They weren't working. So then she tries to go to the net a couple of times. That didn't work. Then she tried to do lofted, loopy balls to sort of maybe discombobulate Sabalenka. That didn't work. I mean, Sabalenka got her in her own way once or twice to to kind of just extend it and make it respectable. But that was an absolute drumming tonight of a, of a really quality player. I know Krishigova hasn't been at her best, but it wouldn't have made any difference. She's she's she is playing at an awesome level, Sabalenka. I like to see Krejcikova trying those things and Me not too. being too proud to, to try those things. Some of them maybe looked a little panicked, I suppose. There were a couple of net rushes that looked ill-advised. But what are you going to do? Try and it, I mean, she had nothing with which to combat Arena Sabalenka from the back of the court. And I think that would probably be true with pretty much everybody at the moment with her style of play but of course the Sabalenka Goff matchup comes with so so many accoutrements <laughs> uh, to make it interesting yeah I mean look Sinner Djokovic is a dream semi-final and this is another one and I think Coco Goff's legs I, I said it earlier but that feels like her greatest weapon right now against Sabalenka. Someone needs to be able to extend these rallies against Sabalenka because she is just hitting everyone else off the court. And we saw it in the US Open final. You make Sabalenka in a stressful situation have to play a few extra shots, and that's when the unforced errors can come. I, I don't see how Coco Goff outplays Arena Sabalenka because Sabalenka's top level right now is just awesome. I mean, as you said, rendering players sort of redundant down the other end of the court. But we saw it in the US Open final. There's a way that Coco Goff can make Sabalenka malfunction a bit and make her stressed. And 
this is a semi-final and Sabalenka, you know, I, I know she won a couple of Grand Slam semi-finals last year, but she also lost a couple. And this is the stage now where I think we really find out about Arena Sabalenka and how well she's playing. Like this has been better than she's played, I'd say, at any slam so far. But she always, well, she doesn't always, but six slams in a row, she's got to the semi-finals. You know, that's incredibly impressive. But it's now where that high-risk game style that she plays in the high-pressure moments, that's, that's where we see the real test of it. And I, I can't wait because I, I think Goff is capable of disrupting her in a way that her opponents so far haven't been. And I'm, I'm fascinated. And I do think that is in Arena Sabalenka's head. I mean, she, gave, she was asked about Coco Goff in, in press this evening. She just gave exactly the same breakdown you did. You know, she sees this match up for what it is and she knows that just the presence of Coco Goff and her physicality looming at the other end of the court even without any of the trauma and baggage of what happened in the US Open final just her presence kind of has the ability to prevent Sabalenka from playing her game or certainly playing it with the freedom that she has been and that has been so potent. She, you know how people step onto court against Novak Djokovic and where usually they would aim six inches inside the line, suddenly they're going for the line and you're thinking, what are you doing? That doesn't need to be that good. And they've just got it in their head that it does have to be that good against Novak Djokovic because otherwise it'll come back and you, you, (laughs) you know, you're just... It's just totally in your head that everything has to be 25% better than it would have to be against any other player. I think that's what's in Arena Sabalenka's head about Coco Goff. It has to be on the line, not inside the line. And that might be true, but I also think stepping onto the court with that mindset could be a bit dangerous for her because obviously the the best thing for her to do is just to step on and go, right, do, do what you've been doing, Arena, because <laughs> it's unplayable. But I think Coco Goff has a kind of kryptonite to potentially stop Arena Sabalenka from doing what she's been doing. I am fascinated by that prospect because I, I, I feel like Sabalenka is playing better than she was at the US Open. Mm. Um, and there's such security to, to her power um, she feels like she's in total control of her game. But Goff is the most extraordinary competitor for, for her age and match player as well, not just mm. how much she wants to win and tries, but her problem-solving and her kind of just being there and, and making it awkward. And obviously she's got Mr. Winning Ugly in her support team it is it's fascinating really what a what a prospect yeah i mean i would say the us open final like the atmosphere was difficult i think for sabalenka to to think clearly to and and to stay calm like i'm sure there'll be a good atmosphere on when when will that be thursday night and i'm i'm sure a lot of the crowd will be pulling for coco golf but it's not going to be the pressure cooker that was the Arthur Ashe Stadium that night of, of the US Open final. So that might help Sabalenka to to relax a little bit more. And as much as I've made the case there for Coco Goff to make this, you know, really awkward for Sabalenka, I do think there's also a chance that Sabalenka is able to block all that out and just keeps on this sort of path of destruction that she seems to be on like I do I do think that's possible and Goff I mean Goff is playing so badly today that, that yeah it, that needs to change it does <laughs> it doesn't get how hard you fight <laughs> and everything else yeah yeah there is definitely a world in which we're, we're sitting here in a, in a couple of nights and it's been you know two and two and we're like well of course yeah. I'm, I'm not feeling Mr. Hype Man about that at the moment. I'm hopeful, but yeah. I'm not confident. How can he be after Goff's performance today? But I do think 
trauma. I think trauma <laughs> trauma is a factor. I always here. think trauma. Semi semi final trauma trauma and goth trauma, and goth needs trauma to be a factor, really, because if it just comes down to the tennis, I think I think Sabalenka's got a. So those matches will be on Thursday. The women's semi-finals both women's semi-finals will be Thursday night session back to back so Goff Sabalenka will be first and then the winners of tomorrow's remaining women's quarterfinals will be second which is tight turnaround for for the winners of tomorrow's matches tomorrow's matches are Linda Noskova against Diana Sremska that is first up at midday so we're back to the midday start tomorrow whereas today we were at 1pm we still don't know why, <laughs> but we're so glad to be paying for that now. So thank you to whatever reason that was for. Um, Noskva Yastremska, that is followed not before one thirty by Hubert Herkac against Daniel Medvedev. Uh, night session, Anna Kanenskaya against Zhang Xinwen. And then finally, Alexander Zverev against Carlos Alcaraz. Does anyone foresee any upsets? And just to be clear... On the women's front, I'm calling wins for Yastremska and for Kalinskaya upsets. That's what I count as upsets. I think the best chance of an upset tomorrow is her catch over Medvedev. Um, but I don't expect any of them to happen. I think ultimately the favoured players um, will come through. Yeah, I think so. Although I do think there's potentially a massive chance that we're underrating underrating Kalinskaya mm. like she's been pretty seamless this tournament and like I know Zhang Xinwen is the player with the with the higher ceiling and and the more buzz it is a low floor though <laughs> it can be a low floor it can be Xinwen. like she can and be Kalinskaya off, is solid as a rock yeah like I think I would pick Zhang Xinwen but I don't know there's something suggesting mm. that that's not as solid sort of player might easy be a problem. as it seems mm. Yeah, I mean, I have no and idea. And Noskova Yastremska, no, no, I don't. No idea. Don't blame you for not going there. I have one. not got a clue, not look, even an inkling. And you might, you might be playing tennis while it's happening as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm playing at Kuyong in um, in seven and a half hours. No, eight and a half. Eight hours. and a half hours from now. So you're playing at Kuyong in 2024. In 2054, you'll be playing on the Rod Laver <laughs> Arena. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a grass court. It is a grass court, yes. You have and to wear white. Have to wear white. And last time I played tennis, which was about, I don't know, about six, seven weeks ago now, I rolled my ankle and that was on a surface I'm much better moving on than grass. So thoughts and prayers. <laughs> We had a bit. We had a, a team talk earlier. We had a. It gave Matt a boost earlier because he wasn't wasn't sure about his how his game would match up on grass. And then then we remembered that Pam Shriver had compared his half volleys to Martina Vratilova. <laughs> um, he's got a nice slice, mm, and well, they generally hit flat. And hits flat. So we think actually he's. I mean, he's basically Pete Sampras at this point <laughs> uh, in terms of. Uh, projected success on grass you're going to be fine Matt uh, we better let you get to sleep uh, before you do that let's talk mascots I got points today for Darwin well done me David Francis who did I go for you today? got points as well did I you, well I think you two had the same prediction no was it I'm Andre Rublev. I'm, I'm in Oh, no. You had different predictions, but you both got points. I had Sinner in three, and he... It's a tell you what, I'm glad when I was commentating on that blooming set that, he, that I didn't know about the, <laughs> my, my prediction. I'd forgotten all about it. I'm Andre Rublev, improving but standing still. <laughs> Matt, Hyder and Soma. Uh, I'm someone who's sliding down the rankings. <laughs> okay. Insert player here. Come on, we can come up with someone. A player who's sliding down the rankings. Who's losing a bunch of sits a pass. He's yeah. losing a bunch of points this week, isn't he? Okay, uh, we have Billie Jean, who is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Delana Kloss. And speaking of dogs, we have Usher. 
Hello, Usher. Uh, we have executive producers. Chris. Jeff. Greg. Jamie. I was... I, hang on. You stole Jamie from me. Oh, I sensed there was going to be a silence coming and I just <laughs> filled it. I didn't know anybody, so... <laughs> It's late, folks. Uh, thank you to all of you. You are, of course, top folks. And Matt, we have shout-outs. And we start with Matt. Matt Polin in Florida. All right, Matt. And Matt says, I'd like to send my shout-out as well to my partner, Greg. He introduced me to the tennis podcast and over the years has come to share my love for tennis. Oh, Greg, you legend. Oh, that's, that's lovely. That's so nice. Um, we like Greg's. Great, like Greg. Nice Greg like from nice Sha- Greg. from exec producers. And like and Matt like Matt Roberts. So great. Everyone's a winner. Greg like Rosetsky. Yeah. And Matt like Ebden. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much, Matt. We've also got Sean Fitzpatrick in London. Hi, right, Sean. Sean says, I met you all at the Queen's Club for the live podcast a few years ago. I was with Pat Cash. What a joy it was to meet you all. I also know the lovely Woolly. I've just, oh. I've just been with Pat Cash, commentating. <laughs> Would you believe it? Friend of, a friend of Pat and Woolly is a, is a friend of ours. Hello, Sean. Cheers, uh, Sean. Tennis Sean's. Well, it sounds like Sean Fitzpatrick might be a tennis Sean if he's mates with Pat Cash and Woolley. Yeah. Uh, Sean. Come on, guys. All I can think of is the sheep that I met the other day. You know. <laughs> David, this is good. David, on Kids Day, wearing an offensive, uh, offensive <laughs> T-shirt, David's post with a, Sean, with a life-size Sean the sheep. <laughs> uh, and was and was frowned at by the several uh, people. <laughs> Craig Charlie, <laughs> <laughs> David, David wore an offensive T-shirt on Kids Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I, 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 Entirely. I, you were talking about trauma earlier. That's mine, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. And finally, we have Joseph Ha. We know Joseph. We know Joseph. All right, Joseph. He is originally from South Dakota, but has lived in different parts of Asia over the last 13 years. Yemen, Jordan, Singapore, and currently Taiwan. Wow. That's so cool. My parents used to live in Yemen. That's added five extra countries to our download list (laughs) over the years. Did he say Jordan? My parents lived Mm. in Jordan as well. He's doing a Whitaker tour. Yeah. Sudan, Zimbabwe next. Not entirely sure my parents would recommend those. Certainly not Sudan anyway, but um, character building. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. Um, do we have tennis Josephs? So, Sol- Joe Salisbury. Salisbury? He, he won today, I think. Or he, sent, he played today anyway. He didn't win. He was with Heather Watson. They uh, lost. And he got beaten by Neil Skupski and Desiree Kravchik. So Joe's not had the best of weeks because he lost the other day in the doubles too with Ranjiv Ram. Didn't they lose to Mahach and Zhang Zhizhen? I mean, obviously. They were winning the tournament. Yeah. Best player in the world. He doesn't strike me as a doubles guy, Mahach. But I'm, but I'm he pleased for do him. He can do anything. do anything. Come on. Okay, but like return, the world. those hands. It's fine. <laughs> They're annoying me now. It's time. <laughs> so it's time to go to bed. It's too late. It's too late for you to be this annoying. Uh, thank you for listening, folks. It has been. It's been a day, but it has been fun as well. We can't wait to come back and do it all again tomorrow. Tell your friends, subscribe to the newsletter, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, check out Hannah's article, her incredible piece about the now defunct Grigor Dimitrov. But it's still a definitive Grigor Dimitrov piece. Uh, And most importantly, come back 
for more fun and games tomorrow. We'll speak to you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 